Jesus, Lord, give me the words. Speak to me. As we study John 13, your last discourse to your disciples, when the world has gone away and they've heard the last of your words, all that was left was for you to speak to your disciples about what was to come, about where you were headed. Lord, we want to hear that message afresh. Speak to us tonight as your disciples, Jesus. Spirit, give me the words to convey the depth of Jesus and the beauty of the act he does in John 13. Help me tonight. Help us all receive the washing of Jesus. And remember to run to him. To run to him. To be washed afresh. Help us to do that tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate that, man. Very good tonight. Really appreciate it. If you have your Bibles tonight, we're in John 13. We're just starting. We finished John 12 last week. And now we start in John 13. Uh, for those of you who weren't here, last week in John 12, we talked about the summary of Jesus' ministry, the summary of Jesus' public ministry that John gives in, in John 12. And what he has to say is the same thing he said in John 1, which is, he came to his own, and his own rejected him. He quotes two different passages both out of Isaiah. One is Isaiah 6. He quotes out of Isaiah 6, talking about Isaiah seeing the glory of the Lord. And in seeing that glory, he saw Jesus, who is the glory of the Lord made manifest. Right? John says that. And of course, the other quote is from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. So as we come to John 13, we have to remember that Isaiah is on our minds. John's just quoted from it twice. The suffering servant should be on our minds as we read what's going to happen in John 13. John 13 starts this way. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We talked about in John 12, the Greeks came seeking Jesus, and immediately Jesus knows, my hour is here. When the Gentiles sought him, he knew it was time for his death. So here Jesus knows his hour is come, and it's the last Time he will be with his disciples before his death. And so with all of that knowledge that he's going back to the Father, it says he doesn't act. That shows how he loved his own to the end. Another translation is eternally. It's both how he deeply and to the uttermost he loved them, but it's also, right, 
referring to the end of his life, his death that is fast approaching. He loved them to the end. Verse 2, during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Jesus knows his status and authority. This is so interesting to me. Jesus knows that he has the authority of the Father. It says the Father has given all things into his hand. Jesus knew that. And he knew both his source, he had come from the Father, and his destination. He was going back to the Father. What is Jesus' response to the knowledge of his own authority and status? It's to get on his feet and wash the disciples' feet. It's interesting, we have this image actually in reverse from what we typically think. We think of Jesus kneeling at the feet of the disciples. Typically how we think of it in our minds. It says in the passage they're reclining at table. They're all reclining laying down, propped up on one side as they eat, Jesus actually raises himself up to get up, lay his garments aside, gird himself with a towel, and then go to wash the disciples' feet. For those of you who are here, back in John 12, the beginning of John 12, when we talked about Mary washing Jesus' feet, we talked about the, the depth of that sign, what it meant. All disciples were essentially treated like slaves to their, their teachers, to their rabbis. They were supposed to do whatever the rabbi commanded, except for one thing. Washing their feet. Washing their feet was the most menial task reserved only for slaves. And so even disciples who were supposed to be slaves to their teacher did not wash the feet of their masters. The contrast could not be more significant between the Lord of glory and the foot washer. The most menial task that there was. Jesus knows his own status. He knows his authority. And in light of that status and authority, I'm going to show my love by washing their feet. That's Jesus' response. So Jesus gets up, he fills the basin, he begins to wash the disciples' feet, wipe them with the towel. And of course, Peter has something to say about it. Jesus, when he came to Simon Peter, he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand later. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Never shall you wash my feet. 
Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. What we have to ask ourselves here is we stop here and ask ourselves, what is the foot washing about? What is it symbolizing? Well, it's actually pointing, I don't, I don't think most people realize this, but it's pointing to the cross. The foot washing is a sign of the cross, and the reason we know that is because this is all inundated with this imagery of what Jesus is about to do. The two things that we keep coming back to in this passage are one is going to betray him and his impending death. And, and we know the foot washing is about the cross because he's talking about their cleansing. It's a symbolic action. This is not the reality of their cleansing. It's pointing to the cleansing that is about to take place. So, when Peter says to him, Jesus is a teacher, this is an object lesson. When Peter says, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus says, if I don't cleanse you, you have no part with me. There is no way for us to take on Jesus without accepting his sacrifice and service to us. That's what he's saying to Peter. You can accept my service. You can accept my sacrifice. And that's how you have an inheritance with me. Without it, you cannot have a part with me. The cleansing I offer is not something you can refuse if you want to be with me. And so, of course, Peter flies to the other end of the spectrum, right? That's so Peter. Peter said, okay, well then, Lord, don't wash just my feet. Wash my hands and my head. Jesus is giving a second object lesson. And the thing is, we often get confused because it's on the same topic, but he's actually saying something different. Jesus replies to Peter saying, The one who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Jesus changes the lesson to say this, He who has bathed, the one he has cleansed, is fundamentally cleansed. We don't need another action of cleansing from Jesus that is fundamentally cleansing ever again. The cleansing is taken care of in the cross. But we return to Jesus for the washing of our feet. He's saying, don't you get it? If your feet are washed, you're completely clean. The fundamental work has been done already. Now, for them, it's not already, but for us, it's already. Jesus is about to do it. But he's saying the one who is bathed is already clean. They just need to wash their feet. So we, too, wash our feet. From Jesus, we return to him to be cleansed again and again, knowing that the fundamental change doesn't have to happen over and over we come to him in confession. We come to him and confess our sins like 1 John talks about. 
We come to Him and we, we share our lives with Him and He continues to cleanse us and change us and renew us. But the fundamental work Jesus has already done. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't you understand? The one who's bathed needs just to wash their feet. And He says, guess what? All of you disciples... You are clean. You've already been cleaned. In fact, in John 15, he's going to say that you were cleaned by the preaching of my word. Jesus' word had cleansed them. Jesus' word and his cross had cleansed them. But not all of you. Not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. And for this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when Jesus had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to his disciples, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Jesus says, the authority that I have, that authority that allowed me, that authority that, that gave me the choice to get down and wash your feet, I do have that authority. And remember who you are. You are my slave. You are my disciple. And no disciple is greater than his teacher. No slave is greater than his master. What I did, the reckless humility with which I showed Engaged likewise. Jesus is calling us in to the work of salvation. We can't save others, but we take part in what Jesus is doing in their lives. That's what Jesus is saying here. That we're to wash one another's feet. We're to help be a part of the cleansing of one another, of, of confession and the realities of the church. We're called to do that for one another. And in fact, we're even called, though we will not save someone by our death, we're called to Christ's death even. And we know that because what's he going to say when he gets to the farewell discourse of John 14 to 16? He's going to say, no greater, there is no greater love than this that one would lay down his life for his friends. And of course, supremely, he's talking about himself, but he says, that is love, and I want you to love one another with that kind of love. So here, too, he says the same thing. You should wash one another just like the example I set for you when I did it. We are called to be part of each other's salvation. We are called to edify one another, build each other up, help cleanse one another by taking each other to Jesus, by speaking his word over each other, by engaging in the cleansing process that Jesus does. 
for humans. In verse 18 it says this, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on I am telling you before it comes to pass so that when it does occur you may believe that I am. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Jesus is telling them now, I'm about to be betrayed. I'm about to be betrayed, and I want you to know that I know, because that will be another piece of evidence of who I am. I told you before it took place so that you might know that I am. Jesus quotes from Psalm 41. That's the background in your notes. The background is Psalm 41. Listen to this psalm. Listen to how it sounds like Jesus in this moment. I won't read the whole thing, but I'm going to read part of it to you. This is Psalm 41, verse 5, starting there. My enemies speak evil against me. When will he die? In his name perish. And when he comes to see me, he speaks falsehood. His heart gathers wickedness to itself. When he goes outside, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt, saying a wicked thing is poured out upon him, that when he lies down, he will not rise up again. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. But you, O oh Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you are pleased with me because my enemy does not shout in triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and you set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Psalm 41. And here's the thing. Here's the irony of what Jesus says. He washed the feet of Judas. And we all too often breeze past that reality. Jesus knows what's about to transpire. And he offers the chance for Judas to repent. He washes his feet. The betrayer. Jesus washes the feet of the one who lifted up his heel against him. That idiom means to betray. It means to show contempt for, to show someone your heel is to have contempt for them, to betray them. Jesus washes the foot of the one who lifted his heel. Jesus says, 
There's one with me who ate my bread. I shared a table with him, and he lifted his heel up against me. But I want you to know it's happening, and I know it's happening. I know it's happening. I'm not caught unawares. I am in control of what is happening. Verse 21. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit. And he testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was, rec there was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom he's speaking. He, the beloved disciple, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And now a second time, Jesus offers Judas the chance to repent. He takes the morsel and gives it to Judas. This is an act of honor. Jesus to offer a choice morsel to Judas. Everyone, of course, is eating themselves. For the teacher to offer him a specific piece is him honoring Judas. Again, Jesus reaches out in love to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, offering him the choice morsel. And from the human side of things, what does this do to Judas? It hardens his heart. We know this was God's intention. We know God was in control of this. And yet somehow this chance for repentance, Judas despises it in himself. Judas sounds just like those we read about in John 12, remember, he has blinded their eyes and he hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. That's the quote from Isaiah 53. Sorry, from Isaiah 6. Excuse me. That's Isaiah's calling in Isaiah 6. So when that happens, we know that God is in control, God is sovereign, right. and yet Judas chooses the betrayal. Somehow that chance for repentance, Judas can't handle it. Who knows what Judas thought in that moment? Who knows when his plan had already been hatched what it was like with Jesus washing his feet Something in Judas so reviled Jesus that even his graciousness was met with derision, with anger, with hate. 
what happens to a heart like that? Verse 27, after the morsel, Satan entered into him. Satan empowers the choice that Judas makes. Uniquely and specifically, Satan himself empowers Judas to betray the Lord of glory. But, but, who's in control? Therefore Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. John reminds us, John specifically wants to remind us, even what Judas is about to do is under the command of Jesus. Until Jesus says, what you do, do quickly, Judas does not leave. Jesus knows and accepts his Father's will. Jesus allows Judas to go on his way to do what he's about to do. Now, not one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he said this to him. Some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying, go buy the things we have need of for the feast. Or else that he should give something to the poor. They're confused. They don't understand. And it, it, sometimes I think reading it is hard to understand because you think it, Jesus just said, who we give the morsel to, is the one who's going to betray him. But when you think about the reality of actions and how quickly they can happen, you know, Jesus could have said, the one I give the morsel to, Judas. And it's just quick and, and un understandable. But this continues that what John has said from the beginning. That Jesus is a misunderstood man. His disciples misunderstand him. His enemies misunderstand him. The people that cheer Hosanna misunderstand him. And they don't understand until that wonderful spirit that Jesus is going to send is brought to us when he is poured out on us. And Jesus, of course, is going to talk about that very soon, that reality that's coming that will help us all understand. Until the Holy Spirit comes, they don't understand. Even with Judas, they don't understand. He says, excuse me, even the foot washing, they don't understand. And he says, what I do now, you will understand later. Verse 30, last verse of tonight. So after receiving the morsel, Judas went out immediately, and it was night. Satan enters Judas, empowers him to do what he's about to do. Jesus says, do it quickly. And Judas goes out to do what he's about to do, and it was night. An ominous end to this passage. And of course, John, who loves symbols, he loves poetry, he loves the beauty of language, is not just to remind you that it's night. He's not just giving you a historical fact, no, night is darkness, the absence of light. 
the darkness of Satan is at hand in Judas's betrayal. And not only that, remember Jesus has just told us, you will only have the light with you a little longer. The last thing he said to the world, he declared to the public, the light is only with you a little longer, and then it will be night. Believe in the light while the light walks among you, so that you may be sons of light. The night has come. And those who would believe in Jesus had their chance while he walked the earth. And that window is closing. Because it is night. And so we're left to ask what we take from that. Well, I think two things. We understand Jesus' instruction that we are to wash one another's feet. The Lord of glory can submit to the slave's task of washing one of his disciples' feet and all of his disciples' feet. So too, we have to accept that as part of our duty, as part of our calling to love one another in service and humility to submit to the life and death of Jesus, just like him. That we would give up our lives for one another. We would lay them down for one another. We would wash each other's feet. And the second is this. And I can't get past Judas without thinking about this. I'm not saying encourage the abusers in your life. I'm not saying... That there's never a limit to what you accept, but I am always reminded that Jesus washed a betrayer's feet mm. so that he could offer him a chance to change. And he knew he wouldn't. And he did it anyway. That is the kind of God we serve. Mm -hmm. We too have to wash betrayer's feet. Because unlike Jesus, we don't know what their response will be. We don't know what their response will be. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the betrayer would betray, and he still did it. We don't know. So we should also wash the betrayer's feet, knowing that God in his great mercy may cause them to repent knowing that grace may not harden their heart, but may break their heart so that they can find the light of, and love of Jesus. Let us do the same like Jesus did. Let me bless you. Lord, thank you for each person in this room. Thank you that they all found their way here tonight. Lord, I'm so grateful to be able to preach the word to them. Lord, would it sink deep into their heart? Would they be reminded when opportunities come to despise someone who has hurt them, who has maligned them, who has slandered them? Lord, would you bring this to mind? May they find a better way. A way to wash that person's feet. Lord, would you call us again to that reality of 
of washing each other's feet, Lord, for every other betrayer that we may need to wash their feet, how much more so are we called to love each other in the church, to serve each other, to act with humility and humbleness towards each other. God, help us to be humble. Help us to be humble before you, our great God, who got on his hands and knees to clean the feet of each person that would receive him. Lord, we too had our feet washed by you so that we could have a part with you. Thank you for your service to us, God. Thank you for your humility. That is truly an unfathomable, unfathomable reality that you are the humble God. We receive your service. We receive your sacrifice. Help us to live like that towards one another. Lord, help me to love the people in this room with that love. Help them to love each other and love all the people in their lives with that kind of love and especially to those who believe. I pray all these things in your name. Bless each person tonight. In Jesus' name, by your Spirit's power. Amen. Amen. Love you all. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.